My name is Monica Gleberman, and you're listening to Silence Onset Podcast. On today's podcast, we have House of Dragons star Graham McTavish to talk about the show that is set nearly 200 years before the events of Game of Thrones. It tells the story of the Targaryen Civil War, with everyone battling for control of the Iron Throne. So to talk about House of Dragon, and of course, a little bit about Outlander, here's Graham McTavish. The career that you have had is one of the most unbelievable careers I've seen in a long time. I mean, it's amazing the amount of stuff that you have done. I guess I want to start out with just a kind of like a nice, easy intro question. You know, when I was doing research and even things that I've watched, I think one of your big movies was probably Rambo, I think probably in the beginning. Uh, Yeah. But I mean, it's like lists and lists of stuff and stuff. So like, what would your advice be to actors that are like getting involved in the industry? Oh, dear. Um, and that's that's the easy question. Well, <laughs> that's not that's, an easy one. <laughs> um, no, it's very difficult to answer. Um, I, I, I think, well, every career is different. Every circumstance is different. I was lucky to um, have a, a long and busy career in theater for, you know, the best part of 20 years, really, uh, especially in Scotland. I was doing a lot, a lot of theater. Um, and I, I think um, that really gives you a very solid foundation. Um, it makes you prepared for anything, really. Uh, if you can do repertory theatre, uh, where you have very little rehearsal time and you're expected to just be game ready when it uh, when when the first night happens, uh, it just it just means that you're able to um, to adapt uh, to whatever the career throws at you. And other than that, I mean, you know, I was told, funny you should mention Rambo, mm-hmm. I was told by uh, Sylvester Stallone's manager at the time when we were doing it, he said a career, an acting career needs three things where he says it needs, there are three things that an acting career can have. You can have talent, okay. you can have luck, and you can have um, determination. Mm-hmm. Um, just, you know, dogged perseverance. And he said, you have to have two. You can't just have one. So you can be completely untalented. And goodness knows there are, I, I would argue that there are people in this business who aren't very talented. Right. Um, but as long as you have luck and perseverance, it is possible to have a career. But, um, you know, it's it's preferable to go down the talent and perseverance <laughs> route. Um, yeah. But perseverance is, I mean, it's it sounds... It's not the I think the main thing that I would say to anybody is don't expect it to be easy. Right. It is. It isn't. It's it is. It is a career built on rejection. That's why, like, I don't know how you've done it, because I know, like, people say that they build like a thick skin, but still, you know, to get so Mm. many no's or, you know, to have to fight your way to get a part or convince whoever. I just don't know. I kind of don't know why anyone would want to even enter it to begin with. No, no. Well, no, absolutely. And that's a very good point. And that's something else that I say to people. This is not a career that you would choose because, well, you think, oh, you know, that might be fun. Um, It's really something that you have to do. It's you, you are driven by something like an engine inside you that makes you want to do it. 
really, really, really makes you want to do it. Not just because somebody once told you that you were cute in a school play or whatever. That that there has to be something more, and um, and it takes takes over your life really. I mean, I've moved all over the world for my career, and you know, and that has that has come with its own difficulties, you know, inevitably. Uh, but you just keep. When I started, it was very different when I started, like in theatre you used to be able to write directly to the directors and say, hey, um, I'm just out of university. Uh, what, are you, what are you doing at the moment? What are you rehearsing? Anything for me, basically. And then they would, they would uh, write back. They'd actually write back a letter and say, yeah, hey, you know, um, why don't you come in and meet? And then you'd go in and they'd give you an audition. And if they liked you, then then you might get the part. And whereas now, I mean, I definitely think now the hurdles are greater in many ways because there are layers of gatekeepers in play now that there weren't so much before. But um, but nevertheless, you know, you just, you, you, you learn also not to take it personally and not to take no for an answer. So, you know, an example of that would be for me that I was... Um, I was trying to get work. I was in my early 20s and I was doing a, a one-man show and a two-man show called uh, The Zoo Story and Crap's Last Tape, right? And I was doing it one night only in a place called Bristol. And there was a lady casting director there called Liz Jeffries. And um, she promised that she would come see this play. And that was going to be my chance to be able to get into some TV. Right. So I did the play, good performance, came out, no sign of her. No. She she didn't make yeah. it. No, she didn't make it. So. I rang her and said in the days where you could just ring them and um, no secretaries or anything. And uh, she said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that you, yeah, I couldn't make it. Are you doing it again? And of course I wasn't doing it again. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just come in. I'll just come in and see you. Wow. And she went, oh, yeah, sure. No, absolutely, come in. So I went in and I said, um, she apologized again. And I said, uh, no, that's absolutely fine, Liz. I totally understand. Why don't I do some of it now? And, and she went, what do you mean? And I said, I'll just do one of the big speeches that Jerry has in the zoo story. I'll do it now. And she went, oh, okay. So I did, but it's basically a five minute monologue from the play. And she cast me in a TV show. You just develop this kind of just determination that you're, you know, and you also have to believe in yourself. You can't just hope that other people believe in you. You have to believe in yourself. So you have to convince yourself with this kind of Jedi mind trick that you're doing them a favor by, by coming in to see them because right. you're going to be great. And uh, so, yeah, that's a very long-winded way of answering. No, that that's amazing. That's such a great story, though. And, like, it's just showing you true, like, you know, it's true. When people say that persistence or, you know, don't give up or think of outside the box, every mm. it's... I think when someone's famous, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's easy. But to hear mm. someone tell a story like, oh, no, she didn't even show up. And this is what I did. Oh, yeah, that's a yeah. Great you, example, you, like to inspire people that are younger, you know, or, or people that are older that are still trying to get in, you know, into. Well, I remember Tim Roth used to uh, go to the same pub as me in uh, London, in Camberwell. And I remember that when he was starting out, he used to go around and find the addresses of famous film and television directors and he would go and just knock on their doors you know, just knock on the door complete stranger 
person would open the door and he would say, hi, my name's Tim Roth. I'm a really good actor. You should employ me. And, and that's what he would do. And, you know, probably 99 out of 100 of them just slammed the door in his face. But one of them would go, why, why do you say that? And then, and here we are, there's Tim Roth. But I mean, and that kind of is funny because it kind of takes me almost to your character in House of Dragon in a way, because yes. the sacrifice and the amount of stuff that he gives up in order to be like Lord Commander and yes. his gut and do all the good, all the good and follow his kind of moral compass. So mm. for you, what was that like? I know, obviously, it must be difficult playing historical figures. You do play historical modern. So I don't know if you prefer one or the, over the other. But in, in terms of this show, the sacrifice that he goes through is very similar, I feel like, to what you just said, um, mm. giving up everything to yeah. be there for somebody. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, sure. I mean, old Harold, he, uh, you know, that that's the order, the King's Guard, uh, they're like sort of warrior monks, really. They, they uh, forsake everything. They forsake relationships, money, titles, land. Uh, all in the service of the king, and um, and it's 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 a very kind of old fashioned concept, really, duty and service yeah. uh, and honor. Um, that people that there are people who live by those words. I mean, in in the world of House of the Dragon, he's he's probably I would possibly argue the only decent human being walking around in Westeros. Um, he certainly hasn't got a lot of friends. I always imagined that Harold would um, finish his day, you know, bow or whatever, say thank you, good night, and just go to his tiny room where there probably wasn't even a bed, probably had to sleep standing up, and just quietly weep at, the, yeah. at, the, at yet another day of backstabbing, viperish kind of behaviour that, that they indulge in. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it was a lonely road for Harold. And then, you know, it's funny because with that show, I heard that you were a little... A little upset that you didn't get a dragon, which listen, I would understand. I would be very upset about this, not having my yeah. own dragon. I was um, very, very upset. <laughs> so how I, was you know, I'd seen all of Game of Thrones and I loved all that. Right. And of course, the show's called House of the Dragon, right? <laughs> and Ryan, who is the showrunner, um, Ryan Condor, had talked to me years earlier about it, saying, Oh, I want you to be involved and everything like that. I'm like, Yes, great, great. Got the beard, you know, I'm ready. And um, you know, I'm used to used to swords, practically sleep with one. So, you know, I'm your man. And then um, you know, I I I remember going for a walk with him in London before it all started. And I said, So Ryan, you know, tell me a bit more about Harold. I mean, what kind of dragon does he have? And uh he said, Oh no, uh Harold doesn't have a dragon. He he's no and I went, I'm sorry? What what do you mean? No, no dragon. He went, yeah, yeah, other people have dragons, but he, he doesn't have one. So I, I had a horse. <laughs> Which you've had before, so I guess that wasn't that special. It's not the same. It's not special for you. <laughs> no, it's not the same. So, uh, yeah, I was a little disappointed. And it was very difficult breaking that news to my children. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. You're like, yeah, no, I got a horse, though. No, no, not excited. But yeah, it doesn't fly. <laughs> it's not the no. same. Not the same thing. No. It doesn't breathe fire. No. <laughs> How was it for the finale? Because I know a lot of people were questioning you in terms of your character. Which side is he going to go on? Obviously, mm. like, you know, which makes sense. I think that's where his heart was going and his morals. Mm. So ultimately, when you see it, are you happy with the decision he made? 
Happy with the dragons in it. If you're a character like Harold Westerling, there is only one decision you can make, and that's the one he made, right. which is you have to walk away from these people, um, put distance between yourself and them uh, until such time as uh, your services are actually required, um, where, where you can actually fulfill the duty that you signed up for. Um, and he doesn't want any part of political assassination and murder of somebody who he's known since she was a child. I mean, the hardest thing for him would have been laying down that cloak because right. the cloak is very symbolic of something that he swore to defend and uphold and all the rest of it. And I, I think that, that the symbolism of that for him would have been very, very powerful. Um, and that would have been the, the difficult moment. But I think the decision to do it was really to underline I mean, he could have just walked out and said, you know, bye, you know, right. I'll, I'll catch you later. Uh, sorry, you know, I've got other things to do. But he wanted to underline the, the, the sheer weight of what he was doing, that, that this cannot be tolerated. And, um, and it's, you know, in the world that we live in now, um, it's such a wonderful kind of example of somebody who, uh, who, who is, you know, a dying breed, really. Yeah. Somebody who stands by his principles. Yeah, because then only does he stand by them. But like you said, I mean, it's it's one thing to just walk away. It's another mm. thing to really make a moment. And you had a moment. I mean, he, he has a moment where he's mm. like, I'm doing mm. this. And it's not for show. It's not for yeah. any other reason other than to no. say that's how serious yeah. this moment is for me and yes. what's going on. Yes. And, yes. I mean, it just it's amazing to watch. Yes. I mean, it's well, it's the contrast between someone who acts um, through conscience. Uh, as as opposed to someone who acts through self-interest. And uh, there's a lot of self-interest going on in House of the Dragon, various people and all the rest of it, and the, all the, the plots and the, the factions and this and the that and the agendas. And Harold doesn't really have an agenda. He's, um, he's a straight arrow. And that's and it was great. So, of course, I have to ask you, and I'm sure you're getting asked this and you can't answer it, but I have to ask, everyone wants to know, if you're going to be back for season two. Yeah. <laughs> I should say, like, if they asked you, what if I said that, if they asked you, would you be able to come back for season two? Or would you want to come back? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I just can't, can't really say. Can't say anything. <laughs> it's so difficult. It's like, you know, your, your career now is constantly about, you know, plausible denial. It's... It's, it's 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 absurd. It is. Well, a lot of the shows you like, you're on. Mm. I mean, come on. I they're number one huge massive shows. So I always yeah. like, I have to do interviews because every question we ask, you can't answer anyway. But it's like give them something to say <laughs> about it. Yeah, I mean, um, I, the best way I can say it is mm -hmm. that I love being in all of those shows that okay. I've been lucky enough to be a part of, and uh, until they end completely i would always uh, be delighted to return in any capacity okay so i'm gonna go with yes you're coming back just because i want to see him so i'm gonna go with yes he's coming back so okay. that takes me obviously to the beloved outlander right i'm sure yes. in every interview for you um i mean dougal i don't know i just loved him and with you and sam together which you know the two of you crack me up but mm. as characters, you know, with Jamie and having to stab him and like just how that whole scene played out, 
was so heartbreaking mm. and was yeah. so difficult. I think, you know, for all of us to have to say goodbye to him and it was so beautifully done. So, yeah. you know, obviously it was announced you're coming back. Yes. So can you talk at all about what it's like? I can talk about what it feels like to to be coming back. Absolutely. Yeah, because yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's been a long time. It's been It has. It's been six years that Dougal has been away. And no, I'm absolutely delighted. I I actually bumped into Matt Roberts, the the you know, one of the showrunners in the lounge in LAX by accident. And he said, Oh, by the way, we're planning to bring you back. And I'm like, oh, really? And um and that was a that was months and months ago. And so Yes, it's it's obviously been in their mind for a while, but I, uh, I'm, I'm really happy about it. Yeah, it's great to revisit that and and don the Dougal again mm -hmm. uh, to be, you know, in the in the outfit, get the bonnet on, you know, get the plaid, the sword, all of that stuff. It'll be great. Just yeah, yeah. No, it's very exciting, and it's actually very rare. Well, it's never happened to me. I don't think where I've come back in that way to something that I've been in before. We also have to ask really quickly for Men in Kilts, is there any update on the season two premiere? I'm feeling it's going to be early next year is my feeling that okay. it'll be coming out because we've only just finished locking the edits and all the rest of it. It's it's such a process. It really is. But um, we're very pleased, very, very pleased with it. And uh, I think people will, well, people will just delight at my uh, bowel loosening terror. Um, that uh, that Sam puts me through. I mean, it I, it took me a while to realize that this was his overall plan was simply to frighten me, and I thought, good grief, you know, this is this is supposed to be a friend of mine. And well, um, and you just got him too at his recent book, um, like one of his engagements. So I was going, oh no, is this Sam now going to attack back at him? And oh, it's I'm constant. It's like war. <laughs> yes, I mean, basically, when we're not actually sending these sort of little messages to each other we're planning the next one uh so it's a constant you know he'll as as i speak now he will be thinking of something to say about me that he will bring out in due course i try not to see too many of them uh because obviously it just it just upsets me too much but um yeah he's a great friend he's a great friend we have a we have a lot of laughs together and uh, i look forward to being uh, back on set in in Outlander, it's simply to just terrify them. Actually, as Dougal, that that will be my sole goal. Even if it's not in the script, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to we'll arrive have... and be uh, be an object of terror to them. Yeah, we'll tell Sam like lock his doors, lock the trap. Yeah, prepare. absolutely. Young paranoia yes. alert. <laughs> yes, he's coming. There were two big questions from fans. So one is just, will you ever consider writing a book? Yes. Oh yes, are you are you yes. working on something or I'm 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 trying to find the time to. Okay. Yes, the answer is yes. I very much want to. I have a number of plans in term in the literary field. And then just my last question: Is there anything you want to say to fans that just love you? Is there anything you want to say to them? I'm lucky enough to uh, you know encounter people pretty much on a daily basis who are very kind and uh, take the time to talk to me and things like that and. Uh, and it's, you know, uh, having a 40-year, nearly 40-year career up to, up to this point and uh, to feel that, that getting that back, um, I mean, the, the, the kind of feeling I used to get when I was on stage, if, if a performance was going well, that feedback, that, that involvement that you have with an audience 
it's um it's one of the great joys of this job um is to feel that in some any any way you know whether they hate your character whether they love your character um any, any kind of reaction that you you have touched them in that way is is tremendously gratifying so i i thank them very much for passing on those kind of messages they mean a lot Hope you guys enjoyed listening to Graham McTavish talk about House of Dragon. All of the episodes are currently available now streaming on HBO Max, so make sure you check it out. And head over to Netflix and check out Outlander to see his character Dougal, which is returning for its upcoming season. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so you're updated on all of our latest podcasts. And head over to our YouTube channel, hit subscribe so you're updated on all of our video content. (laughs) 